Small Farm Nation Academy teaches farmers how to build their brands and get more farm customers. Plus, you can get a modern farm press website free with your membership if you want. So check out smallfarmnationacademy.com today and get growing. When you search for rural land, you find all sorts of places that look promising. But how do you know you've found your dream property? Hey, it's Tim Young of SmallFarmNation.com. Today, I'll share what my wife and I have learned and cover the 23 questions you should answer before buying that rural property. So, of course, Liz and I have bought rural property now twice, and it's been both an exciting and a very exhausting time each time. But before you plunk down that deposit on the first rural property that screams your name, just consider this. You're planning to make a move there for life, a new life, a better life, and maybe, I don't know, not only the rest of your life, but a homestead that future generations will cherish. So yeah, it's appropriate to take time and weigh the decision against the criteria that are important to you and your family. So with that in mind, I've come up with a list of 23 really important questions you should ask and answer when looking for rural property. But really, these are more than 23 questions. It's more like 23 categories. As you'll hear in this episode, each question or category has many sub-questions. So it's way more than 23 questions, but they're all important. So having said that, let's get going on our list of 23 questions to ask when looking for rural property. All right, all right, all right. Question number one, how much land do you really need? Now, this gets to the issue of land lust, right? As we all seem to want more land and more privacy. But the question you're going to need to answer is how much land do you actually need to achieve your goals or your dream? I mean, if you simply want to have a garden and some chickens, right? You can do that on less than an acre, less than a half acre even. And many people do. But what if you want livestock, such as cows and horses? Or how about orchards? Or maybe you want your own vineyard. Do you want to be able to hunt on your own land? Do you want a lake or pond for recreation and fishing on your own property? See, the risk here is that you, like Liz and I, will say, yeah, 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 I want all that and more. But, of course, that all comes at a big cost, both financially and in terms of upkeep. So you have to be clear on your goals because keeping chickens and rabbits requires very little land. Sheep and goats require a little more, and cows require, at a minimum, one to two acres of dedicated pasture each. And that's if you're in a good pasture rainfall area that's typical of the eastern U.S., where I've always lived. Now, In much of the western parts of the U.S., more land is often required, usually much more. And if you're thinking about having horses, get far more rural property, maybe 10 acres per horse in the east, in addition to your house, driveway, garden, and so on. So you need to start with a very clear view of what you want out of the property, how you're going to use it, how you want to use it. Uh, Because I'll tell you, it's great to have 50, 100 acres. I've had both. But you also have to upkeep all the fences, the driveways, the pasture, and everything else. All right, so start with that. Now, moving on. 
Question number two. Can you comfortably afford the land? Now, only you know how much you can afford for the home and the land. Can you purchase your rural property and be debt-free? Now, you've heard me talk about this before, so you know that I think this is a really important milestone for you to achieve. But if you're not there yet, and many people aren't, can you comfortably afford the down payment with plenty of financial reserves left over to deal with the unexpected? And I mean plenty because there's always a need for money out here. For instance, how much will any improvements to the land or buildings cost? Then there's the cost for livestock, trees, garden beds, and I mean tractors, the list goes on and on and on. And if you've got a job, you don't always want to assume that paycheck will be there. So just make sure your purchase leaves you with plenty of financial reserves. Okay, question number three, how's the water? Does the land have excellent water? Now, I encourage you to make this a very high priority. You probably heard me talk about this before when Liz and I talked about our criteria for moving to our new homestead. Does the water on the property you're considering come from a natural spring or has a well been drilled? If it's a spring, is the spring located above the elevation of the house and garden so you can use gravity for water distribution? I talked in an earlier episode about how important that was to me, even though I didn't find it. That was an important criterion for me. Maybe you'll be able to find that. If the water is from a well, how many gallons per minute does it produce? And what is the static water depth? For example, on our last farm, we had two wells, each 300 feet deep, that produced over 45 gallons per minute. But the static water depth was less than 40 feet. So in other words, if we had the power out, we could open up the well. We'd only have to go down 40 feet to get water. Now, on our current homestead, we only have one well that produces about five gallons per minute, but that's plenty. Besides, we have lots of springs and small streams on this property, and we just put a one-acre pond in. Also, if you're looking at a new property, have you tested the water quality? Now, most likely, it's going to be hard water. I'm sure your test results will show it's fine to drink, but you'll be wondering why your dishes come out foggy and dusty looking. Nothing like those sparkling dishes you had in the city. So here's a hint. Just add a small amount of citric acid along with the detergent when you run your dishwasher and your dishes are going to look fine. But we're getting off track. Back to the water quality and the water of your land. Now, if you're looking at raw land, have you received an estimate for the cost of drilling a well? If you're going to farm you can offset the cost of the well with an EQIP grant from the USDA. Now, I covered that in episode 22 of Self-Sufficient Life. Otherwise, that cost is going to set you back at least five to ten grand. And if you don't have a well but need one, why don't you check the well depths and flow rates for your closest neighbors before you move or before you buy the property so you can have confidence that your well will perform as you need it to. Finally, as it relates to water, If you plan on raising livestock, how are you going to get the water to them? Are you going to use gravity from some source? Are you going to rely on a well? Is it going to be a stream? Just think through where you want to go with your property and how you're going to handle the livestock. Okay, question number four. Is there good potential for alternative energy? Now, many homesteaders share the dream of being completely off-grid, but that's not possible 
if the land is not conducive to energy production. Here's what I mean. If you're considering solar energy, does the land have excellent sun exposure, particularly to the south, or is it surrounded by dense woods? If you're considering wind or hydropower, is the land suitable for that? Is there a woodlot so you can cut your own firewood if you plan to heat with wood? I mean, you may see a lot of trees, though, but are they the right kinds of trees? In the east, elm and ash burn just fine, and they burn fast, but they don't put out nearly the BTUs as oak or hickory. So all wood species aren't the same. So find out what you have. And if you don't know, you can get the forestry department to come out and walk the land for you for free. That's what we did to find out what trees we have. Okay, moving on. Number five, do you have a good understanding of the local weather? Now, hear me out on this one. Start with how much rain per year does the area receive? I mean, we often start with that, right? And we hear that we get a lot of rain. But what's more important is how frequently the rain comes. Now, this issue of frequency is a big deal. And here's why. On our previous property in Georgia, we averaged over 50 inches of rain per year. Sounds nice, right? Yet we often, and I mean almost every year, went through the hottest parts of summer and received only one to two inches during a three-month period from July through September. That created a lot of stress on our livestock and gardens, and our large pond would go down two to four feet every year. That made it hard to keep oxygen in the pond for fish. So it's not enough to know how much rain you get per year. You need to know how much you can depend on frequent rain. And it's this reason that I prefer land in or near the mountains. And also, what are the winters like where you're looking? What are the summers like? How frequently is there drought or flooding? What about the risk of, I don't know, tornadoes, hurricanes, wildfires? You know, we hear a lot about these, and you might have a beautiful property on the cliffs of California, but if the wildfires come through as they frequently do, it ain't where you want to be. So this is just something else for you to factor into this big decision you're contemplating. Here we go, number six. What is the growing season, and how long is it? This is one of the reasons we moved from our prior farm because we wanted to live in a different gardening zone. For your desired location, have you spoken with other local gardeners and or maybe agricultural extension offices? Do you know what crops can be grown when they need to be planted and when they need to be harvested? Because it may be very different from where you live today. What kind of fruits can you grow? You might fantasize about an apple orchard, but good luck if you're looking in Central Florida. Also, what kind of pests are you likely to encounter? And do you have the skills in all these areas, or are you starting from scratch? Either way, you might want to see if there's a master gardener's group in your new area, or at least talk to the county extension agent before you move to see if they're knowledgeable about small-scale organic food production. See if they share your values and know other people in the area who share your values for homestead food production. All right, moving on. Question number seven. What is the community like where you're moving? Are there like-minded people in the area, whether it be for homesteading, homeschooling, or whatnot? Are there groups and organizations you'd like to join? Can you join them before you move to see firsthand 
what the people are like. I mean, nowadays, some of these groups are online, notably in Facebook groups. So you could join well before you move. Are there gardening clubs, amateur radio clubs, homeschooling support groups, and so on? Because just as there are microclimates and weather, there are also microcultures. In that regard, have you subscribed to the local newspaper before making an offer and relocating? If so, what was the help wanted section like? Skimpy? Full? What does it tell you about the local economy? What about the police reports? Those are the things that Liz and I loved reading most before we moved to our first farm area because we like to find out what the crime rate was and what kinds of crimes people were committing in the country. And the other thing that you can tell you that's, that you really want to know is what's the proximity of those crimes to the property you're considering? And are there a lot of foreclosure listings in the paper or just a few? I mean, reading the paper will tell you a lot about the type of community that you're moving to. All right, question number eight. How likely is it that the community will drastically change or may drastically change over time? Now, you're considering a small town most likely, right? But is the town you're considering located between major points of interest that may cause it to grow over time? Let me give an example. I grew up in a beautiful mountain town in northern Georgia that was quaint, sparsely populated with families who, I don't know, had lived in that county for generations. You know, maybe their families go back a couple hundred years. It's the town where the movie Deliverance was filmed. And a lot of other movies were filmed there, too. And my mom actually waited on Walt Disney and Fess Parker back in the 50s when they were filming The Great Locomotive Chase. But that was then, when the town was remote and... Well, I mean, a little backwards, I guess, or quaint, if you prefer that word. Today, the town is still there, but prosperity has arrived in the form of fast food restaurants, souvenir shops, you know, Home Depot, chain coffee shops, and lots and lots of traffic. Why? Because a major road that connects Georgia to the Smoky Mountains goes right through the valley where the town is located. So while it was once the town I'd like to live near today, I wouldn't want to live anywhere near it. Moving right along, number nine, what are the immediate neighbors like? Now, if you're seriously considering a specific property, have you introduced yourselves to the neighbors before making an offer? Do you share anything in common with them? Children, hobbies, political beliefs, religious views, societal views, whatever. Would you invite them over for dinner? Would you want to go to their place for dinner? Now, at the new property I live at, one of my neighbors about a half mile down the road has a large apple orchard. So he and I are able to discuss pruning trees and growing apples and all that. Plus, we share really similar views on preparedness, which is a really important consideration if you happen to think of yourself as a prepper. Now, there aren't many people around here with young kids like we have, but we found that to be pretty normal when looking at rural property. More often than not, the population is gray or bald. Still, you can make an effort to at least talk to one of your neighbors or stop by the local store. Every small town, even the little places that aren't really a town, has a gas station slash candy bar store and you can ask them about the area. They'll be sure to tell you. 
And you can also see, you know, the little boards where they post business cards or, you know, things for sale in the community. And that will give you some insight as to what's going on around there. Okay, number 10. How remote is this property or how close is it to town? Now, one of the best things about homesteading can be seclusion. But for some, it can also be the worst. This is particularly true if you happen to be a people person or you just love to shop at Target because you're going to find that stuff to be far away. So how close do you want to be to a town? And what do you want out of that town? Simply a store or two? Or do you need or are you interested in being close to decent restaurants, yoga studios, pubs, golf courses, and all that stuff? There's no right answers to this. But you're going to need to be honest about what you want, and then you're going to have to find that community. Okay, question number 11. What are the physical characteristics of the land you're considering? Is it flat, gently sloping, or is it a steep mountainside that's got this scary, uh, you know, treacherous, you know, drive up it? What will it be like in the wintertime? Where we are, ours is a mix of gently sloping to steep, and that's important to us. Why? Well, number one, the ridges give us a lot of privacy between us and neighbors, none of which can be seen from our house. And number two, because an area with two small streams between two sloping hillsides created the perfect spot for a large pond, which we very much wanted. Now, we had to clear some trees to be able to put that pond in, but we were able to visualize how we could do that pretty simply. So what about your new land? Is it wide open with no trees or are there windbreaks? If you plan on raising livestock, they're going to want some shade and protection. Plus the windbreaks increase your privacy. But what about other aspects of the land? What about the soil drainage? That's really important if you plan on putting in a septic system. You need to know that the land can perk, right? And even if you don't plan on putting one in, you don't want flat land that doesn't drain. It'll be hard to grow things if the ground is always flooded. Also, if your land has pasture, walk around it and see what perennial forages are growing there now. Is the pasture suitable for your intended use? If you're not sure what the forages are, just get the extension agent to come out and walk the land with you. Most of them will be glad to do so if you just make an appointment. And check to see if there are legumes such as clovers and vetch and so on that can help fix nitrogen to the soil. And, you know, when you're walking out there, is it only one species of grass, such as Bermuda, or is the pasture a mix of forages, which is what I think you really want, unless you're planning on just growing hay? Does the forage match the animals you hope to put on it? For example, if the pasture consists of old fescue that's prone to the endophytes, it may not be wise to plan on raising horses there. And how is the earthworm activity? You did bring a shovel with you, right? So use it to take a scoop of the soil. And hopefully you don't get too strange of a look from the, the seller. But you should be able to get at least one earthworm in each scoop. And while you're checking out the land, I'm sure you probably try to figure out where you're going to put the garden if there's not an existing garden. But is that area positioned for maximum sun exposure? And what about the perimeter? Is the land fence, is there a perimeter fence around the property? Are the pastures, if you have them, cross-fenced for rotational grazing? Or are you going to have to do all the fencing? If there is fencing, are the fences high tensile? Are they woven wire? Are they field fence? Are they wooden fence? Or what are they? Well, and what's their condition? 
because you're going to have to maintain all of this or put these on. Don't underestimate how much time it's going to take to maintain fences, particularly if they're anywhere near the woods or the trees. And do not underestimate how much time you're going to spend mowing if you don't have a good use for the pastures. And it might be pretty to have an acre of grass out there, but you're going to be mowing it all the time. Okay, so those are just a few of the questions you're going to want to ask about the physical aspects of your new property. So let's move on. Question number 12. How was that land that you're looking at previously used? Now, regardless of whether the land is beautiful or unkempt, do you know how it was previously used? What were the chemicals used on it? When were they last applied? What types of fertilizers, if any, were applied? And was the land frequently dissed or tilled, meaning that you're probably going to have a lot of weeds out there, or do you have a good sod of pasture out there? And here's another area that often gets overlooked, and this is an important one, so pay attention. Have you confirmed that you will own all water and mineral rights? Now, most states in the eastern U.S. follow the riparian rights concept, and that means that landowners have the rights to water on or underneath their land. And it also means that if they own land adjacent to a river or lake, they're entitled to withdraw water from those water bodies as long as they use the water on their property. But it's very different in the western states that tend to receive far less rainfall. With water being more scarce for them each year, they follow prior appropriation rights. That means that there's local irrigation districts or states that define water rights and assign the highest priority for water during droughts to the first people to apply for a beneficial use. And bottom line, check out your area with an authority to see if the water on your dreamland actually is yours or not. And the same thing applies to surface and subsurface mineral rights. But you get the point by now. Find someone knowledgeable in your area who knows the law and talk to them first. So, okay, there you have the first dozen questions. And we'll be right back with the final 11 questions right after this. Hey, Small Farm Nation. Ever wonder why some farms have a wait list of loyal customers while you work an off-farm job and struggle just to stay afloat? Well, the secret to having a thriving farm business isn't a secret at all. It's called marketing. Successful farms know that marketing is the first priority because without customers willing to pay the prices you require, your farm can't survive. But here's some exciting news if you struggle with farm marketing. Now you can become a farm marketing ninja just by joining smallfarmnationacademy.com. Small Farm Nation Academy is jam-packed with farm marketing video lessons, downloadable resources, mastermind calls with successful farmers, and a rich community forum. If you're struggling with your farm's website, you can even get a modern farm press website for your farm included for free if you'd like. And get this. If you'd like personal guidance specific to your farm business, you're in luck because smallfarmnationacademy.com members get one-to-one -one coaching from Tim Young, free, anytime. It's like having Tim as your on-call farm marketing mentor. By applying what you'll learn in Small Farm Nation Academy, you'll become the preferred brand in your market. So instead of struggling to find customers, customers will seek you out. Isn't it time that you made marketing the priority of your farm business? So head over to smallfarmnationacademy.com right now and get growing. And we're back with 23 questions you'll want to ask before buying that country dream property. So we've already covered the first 12 questions. Now let's finish up. 
Number 13, have you tested the soil? You are what you eat, right? So you'll want to know what's in the soil. Have you had it tested? Or if not, have you asked the current owner if they've had it tested? And when you tested the soil or when they tested the soil, did you or they sample several areas of the land and pasture or only one area? Because you're going to want to take samples from all over, depending on how you want to use the land. And what were the recommendations for soil improvement for each area? How long will it take you to get the soil where it needs to be based on your planned use for it? I mean, granted, this is probably more important if you plan on farming the land versus homesteading, but you still probably want to know. And you may dream of having, I don't know, a personal vineyard or planting a large orchard, but is the land suitable for that? For example, if it's acidic, then that's great for growing blueberries and pine trees, but not much else. So how much lime is required to decrease the acidity and what's the cost for purchasing and spreading the lime? If you're going to raise livestock, you're going to want to know if the soil sorely lacks nutrients that the animals are going to need, such as selenium or magnesium. And even if you're not going to keep livestock, we both know you're going to have a garden. I mean, what homesteader doesn't? So what are the specific recommendations for the garden area? Again, I assume you sought the free advice of the local county extension agent, right? That's what they're there for. To some extent, you can mitigate the garden area with raised beds and bringing in soil or compost, but it's better and cheaper for sure if you don't have to do that. Okay, let's move on to number 14, who maintains the roads? So if you're moving from suburbia, this would probably be a new concept for you. Is your new property accessible by nice paved maintained roads? Or is it more likely accessible only via class four unimproved roads that you may need to maintain? And is there a driveway to your house or do you have to install one? And have you considered the cost for gravel, grading, plowing, and all that stuff? I mean, your long gravel drive may be dreamy, but guess who's going to maintain it? You will, bucko. And that means clearing snow. It means grading it, which I can promise you it will need from time to time, usually several times a year. So check this issue out before moving and make sure you're up for road maintenance. Okay, number 15. Does the land have potential for your plans? Now, Sure, you may want to start simply with a garden and a dozen chickens, but is it possible you may want to grow your farmstead into something more? If so, will the land accommodate your dreams? For instance, is there room for the cows, sheep, horses, buildings, ponds, or whatever visions tease you while you're sleeping? This is something I look at closely when I evaluate property. I visualize what I want the land to look like as much as what the land actually does look like. I gave you the example of the pond we put in earlier, and I talked a lot about how to improve pastures and land in my first book, The Accidental Farmers, because the land we bought back then, man, talk about a fixer-upper. So, again, back to gardening. Is there a sunny spot for the garden on your new property? Or is the land on a steep mountainside where direct sunlight is measured in minutes rather than hours? These are all the things to think about because you're not just looking at land for today. I'm sure you have dreams and plans down the road. Just make sure the land can accommodate those plans. 
All right, moving on. Question number 16, does the land have usable outbuildings? Now, if it does, that's great. But what's their condition? Can you afford any repair cost if they need them? Or is it something you can do yourself? And can the buildings be used for changing future income generating ideas that are discussed in my book, How to Make Money Homesteading, such as for classes or events? Now, you know, I talk a lot about self-sufficient entrepreneurship. And if you're interested in earning money from your farmstead, you can use these kind of buildings to get started. Hey, they'll be of great value to you, but little value to the current owner. I mean, when we bought our first property, there was an old dairy building that had nothing in it. It had been gutted. In fact, the owner only used it to store crap in. But we threw that stuff out or had him remove most of it, and then we turned it into an artisan cheese business. So maybe something you want to do. All right, question number 17. Are there local hospitals, and is there high-quality health care? Now, the need for this will vary from person to person, but if you frequently need medical attention, are there hospitals and good doctors within a reasonable driving distance? And even if you don't need that, is there good emergency care should someone in your family suffer an injury on the farm? Hey, it happens. Is there adequate dental care? I don't really have a lot else to say on this issue because it's pretty obvious. You'll know whether or not you should rank this as an important consideration or not. I just want to make sure you ask yourself the question how important it is to you to have good local hospitals. All right, question number 18. Is the house or home site properly placed in the environment? So what do I mean by that? I mean, imagine a house, a little you know, uh, uh, A-frame or maybe a log cabin that's snuggled right up against the woods. It just sounds great, right? That's until you find the woods are loaded with copperheads or timber rattlers who take a liking to your back porch where your kids are running around. If the land has a house on it, is it where you want it? It's an important question because it's pretty hard to move it later. Have you really visualized yourself in that home and in that home location? And even if you have and you're happy with it, is the garden area placed downslope from the house so you can use the house roof to capture rainwater for the garden? Because that would be nice. But if it is, where is the septic system relative to, to the garden area or where you want to put the garden area? Because the septic system, too, will be downslope from the house. And you don't want to build your raised beds or plant your vegetable garden right on top of it, do you? All right, moving on. Question number 19. Does the land afford the ability to hunt and or fish? Now, you may want to grow a lot of your own food, but if you enjoy meat, and most of us do, you can also hunt and fish for it for free, right? But does your land allow for that? Is there an abundance of deer, turkey, wild pigs, freshwater fish, or whatever you're interested in? Access to this can dramatically reduce the cost of food for you and your animals and, hey, give you free entertainment as you go out hunting and fishing. I'd hate to not have access to this. We'll probably raise some turkeys this year since we always do, but for the life of me, I can't imagine why. There are so many wild turkeys walking around our property, pretty much right up to our porch, that it just seems crazy to raise some, but we will. 
And of course, there's tons of deer and big lakes nearby us, but we just put in a one-acre pond anyway so we can have our own lifetime of fishing right here on our property. So now, if these things are important to you, make sure your property has them or can have them. All right, we're getting into the final stretch here. A few more questions. Number 20, are there neighborhood dogs? If your land is not securely fenced, are there any neighborhood dogs that may enjoy your new chickens or rabbits? Do you know for sure? Just because you drive by and don't see them doesn't mean they're not there. Does anyone else in the area seem to raise goats and chickens or the like? If so, can you stop and talk to them about dogs and how many coyotes are around? Because I'm pretty sure wherever you're looking, there's coyotes around. Just another thing for you to ponder, you know, what's in the environment. If you don't have fencing that comes with your property, you've got threats in terms of dogs and coyotes that can come take the free food that you're going to give to them. Okay, question number 21. Are there other potential hazards of the location that you're looking at? Now, I've mentioned snakes, but what about other wildlife such as bears, mountain lions, and wolves? Even wild hogs are a hazard in terms of wrecking your gardens and food plots. Are you looking at a frequent tornado or a hurricane risk area? Is there poisonous vegetation that could harm you or your animals, such as poison sumac, poison ivy, poison oak, or wild cherry trees? The wild cherry trees can be poisonous to livestock. And are there pasture grasses that are high in prussic acid, such as Sudan grass or sorghum Sudan? If you graze those improperly, they can be deadly to cattle. And even if your pastures don't have them themselves, if local pastures do, and that's where you're getting your hay, you can still have some problems. And while not necessarily a hazard, are there nuances such as fire ants or seasonal gnats and or mosquitoes that could spread disease? Man, are we glad to be away from fire ants. Don't forget about disease-spreading ticks. Is Lyme disease a risk in your new area? I look, I don't say all this to scare you. I don't mean to scare you. But you got to understand that embracing the simplicity of self-sufficient living means embracing all of nature. Okay, time for the final two. Number 22. Are there zoning restrictions, covenants, HOAs? I mean, hopefully you're moving away from that and not to it. And my recommendation is to not move anywhere that has an HOA or any covenants. But regardless, are there zoning restrictions? Could you, for example, later open a bed and breakfast or offer farm dinners or classes if you want? Are there any restrictions against that? Can you erect barns and simple farm structures like your lean-tos and your chicken tractors and goat sheds and whatnot without a permit and fees? Or is that required for even the most simple structure? Believe me, you may not begin planning on any of these things now, but growing the farmstead becomes addictive for many and may for you as well. All right, now we're here. Let's jump to the final question, but... This one is short and is sweet. Did you rent or camp in the area prior to making an offer? 
Question number 23 is all about becoming familiar with the area first to make sure it's the area. Now, this is a moot point if you're talking about moving somewhere close by that you already know. But, you know, we looked long and hard for our new homestead, and we moved quite a ways away from where we were before, and it was a new area for us. So if that's the case for you, if you're unfamiliar with the area, why not rent or camp in that area for an extended time first? to see if you like it. Give you a chance to go to some of the, uh, um, the events, the schools, um, to check out the paper for activities, to drive around your area, maybe see it in different seasons. That's if you're patient and if you got the time. Of course, I'm not patient. When we decide to move, I just go. But a lot of you are way better at planning than I am and want to take a couple years to kind of plan this phase of your life out. And renting or camping in that area for a period of time is a good way to do that. That way you can be sure that it's the community for you. After all, you don't want to hate your new home. You want to love it for the rest of your life. All right, that's it for all 23 questions to ask before looking for rural property. Now, clearly purchasing a rural property and leaving quote-unquote normal life behind to become more self-sufficient will represent a major life decision for you. It may be one of the most important decisions you ever make, and therefore you need to carefully consider all these issues. But having made that move myself over a decade ago, I highly recommend the lifestyle and would never go back. I don't know anyone who would who's on this side of the fence. Now, take some time to think about these questions and feel free to add your own. That way, you'll be fully armed with the knowledge you need to leave the rat race behind for your piece of rural paradise. Thank you for listening to Small Farm Nation. If your goal is to own a thriving farm business with loyal customers who gladly pay you the prices you deserve, check out smallfarmnationacademy.com. Small Farm Nation Academy includes hundreds of video and audio lessons, farm stock images, a community forum, business plan templates, and resources that will help you market and grow your farm business. Plus, you get a state-of-the-art farm press website free with your membership if you want one. And that includes hosting and email unlimited accounts. And get this. As a Small Farm Nation Academy member, you get personal one-to-one coaching from Tim free anytime you'd like. Small Farm Nation Academy is like having Tim as your own personal farm marketing and business mentor on call, but at a fraction of the cost of in-person consulting. And Small Farm Nation Academy has a full, no questions asked, seven-day money-back guarantee. So there's zero risk to you. The time to start marketing and growing your farm business is now. If you're serious about having a profitable, thriving farm business, join smallfarmnationacademy.com today. If you enjoyed this show, please share the love by leaving a five-star rating and review on iTunes, and by introducing Small Farm nation to anyone interested in farming or local food. Thanks for your support. And until next time, thanks for being part of Small Farm Nation.